Gene and Roger is the story of the two most powerful, influential movie critics of their time, Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert. You can find Gene and Roger on the Big Picture feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's a quick trailer. It seemed like a crazy idea for a TV show. Take two rivals and let them duke it out about movies. But Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert quickly became the most popular film critics in the country. Millions of viewers tuned in to see whether they'd vote thumbs up or thumbs down. This is the story of two unlikely superstars who changed the way we argue. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, I'm Brian Raftery, and this is Gene and Roger. Listen on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's The Mismatch, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states or 18 plus in D.C. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by USAA Insurance. Life is full of tough decisions, and thanks to USAA Auto Insurance, picking your auto coverage isn't one of them. Make the switch to USAA Auto Insurance and find out how you could save. Get a quote today. Restrictions apply. Welcome to The Mismatch. I'm Chris Vernon, and joining me as he does every Friday from TheRinger.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber, Kevin O'Concert, Kevin O'Vegas, Kevin O'Climber, Kevin O'Candyland, Kevin O'Blizzarian, Kevin O'Vernon! What's hey, going on? Have you run into your buddy, Dan Blizzarian, while you are out there where <laughs> he probably, while you're out in Las Vegas, I could, I could foresee a circumstance where you're walking through Caesar's Palace or the like, and Dan Blazarian stops, and he feels like he's looking in a mirror for a moment. That has not happened, and I would imagine uh, maybe beard-wise, it's potential looking in a mirror. Uh, body-wise, definitely not looking in the mirror. Uh, what is what has what uh, Vegas been like? You got there a couple of days ago, and this was going to be a different summer league than we have ever had before. There was no summer league last year, but this year... Um, you know, there there was the fear even going in. Are we going to be able to make this happen? They postponed the first game. Really no problem since, knock on wood. Um, you see the stands. It appears like there's a lot of fans at these. Um, everybody's got masks on. Obviously, there's a mask mandate in Las Vegas. Just what's your feel and, and what is it like? It feels like Summer League still, just plus masks. Um, that's true in the casinos. It's true at the arena at Thomas and Mack Center. Uh, I would say I'm a little bit surprised walking through the casinos. I expected to see less people wearing masks. I thought I'd see just a lot of people wear like a, a drink in their hand. So, you know, they could pull down their mask. But like, 95% of people seem like they're wearing their mask walking through the casinos um, at the arena. Same thing. Um, it feels like summer league still. It's obviously weird this year, um, but... 
people are, are doing their thing. Hopefully, you know, I mean, everybody with the NBA has to be vaccinated to go into the arena. Um, fans, hopefully most of them are too. Hopefully most people who aren't are considering getting the vaccine soon. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a fun week. I've enjoyed my time at the arena, enjoyed my time meet with meetings, which is, which is mostly what I've done. Funny part, we were at Momofuku, Dave Chang's great restaurant. He has, you know, in Vegas, has places in LA, New York, all over the world. Um, we're at Momofuku. And so in the middle of the dinner, we see like Corey Kispert walk in, Zach Collins walks in like with his scooter because he has his injury. Um, so we're thinking this is some Gonzaga dinner. Uh, then Isaiah Livers from Michigan comes in. and then. Shortly after, Miles McBride, who had a huge game for the Knicks on Wednesday night, comes walking in with his jersey on, full jersey, shorts, <laughs> and top. And it's, the, it's like something out of like high school. Like, you know, like you're wearing your jersey, you're like Little League Baseball, you're wearing your jersey to the restaurant after the game. Uh, it, it was funny. They all, they all, you know, greeted him uh, very warmly. He took off the top the jersey midway through, but. Uh, and just yeah. sat there shirtless? That, yeah, he had his compression on underneath still. So he, he did not go straight to the shower. He went straight to Momofuku so he would not be late. And by the way, Max Struess was there as well. Oh, a big summer don't, league game. Don't talk, don't talk to me about Max Struess. I had a nightmare about Max Struess. Chris, this was a, a, a high-performing summer league dinner. A lot of priority sports guys. That's the connection between those Michigan and Gonzaga okay. guys. Okay. Yeah. I yep. got you. Well, one of the things I've been watching this – Every chance I get, afternoon, evening, I have found this to be incredibly enjoyable, as we talked about earlier in the week. And one of the things that I've taken away over the course of the last three days since we last spoke, and I want to see if you agree with this, it struck me as I was watching yesterday, you've got guys like Trey Jones, you've got guys like Tyrese Maxey, um, you've got guys like Emmanuel Quickly, you've got guys like Desmond Bain. You've got guys like Bol Bol and Obi Toppin and all, all the all is Patrick Williams, all these second-year guys. And a lot of them have really stood out for their respective teams. And what struck me was I'm not so sure that we're not going to look back at last year's draft and it was much better than what we gave it credit for during their rookie year. When it got to the all-rookie teams, there was a common refrain that it's it's hard to even come up with all-rookie teams. It's hard to even know who to who to vote because the rookie class wasn't that good. There was LaMelo and then like, you know, Halliburton had a good year, but there it wasn't a outstanding rookie class year. And I think that these guys did not get the proper credit for having even a modicum of success given their circumstances. We got to go back. They had no conference tournaments. They had no March Madness. They get drafted. We're all under quarantine. They got to find gyms. Everybody was just having to find gyms. And then no they got to get ready. League. Then they got to get ready for the draft. Then they have no summer league. Kevin, then they have no real training camp. Yep. Then during the season, they don't have practices. Nobody was practicing. Because there was games every other day. You're playing five games in seven days. And I think that now that we've gotten to this summer and I'm seeing these guys, and it's the first time they're getting to play summer league, it strikes me that 
there was a lot more talent that I think is going to show up in this second year and this third year than we may have given that credit uh, to for that rookie class. That's what that's what that's what I come away thinking. I'm, I, I keep thinking like, damn, man, these guys are good. And you know, when you think about all the challenges of last year, I think it's fair to not give them a pass, but just to say that was so intensely awkward that. I don't know. I, I think I think we're going to look back, and there was a lot more talent in that than maybe our first impression. Yeah, I, I think I think you could be on to something there, you know, and that and that's that that's very true in the sense with scouting some of these college prospects. Like you talked on Tuesday or last week's show about Zaire Williams and the challenges at Stanford. True at a lot of colleges this year um, for training and you know getting ready and you know how they might have performed and how it impacts you know what they're doing on the court and ultimately. Um, you know, we're seeing it in the summer league. Granted, guys with NBA experience experience are gonna be helped when they're performing in summer league and exhibition games with a bunch of guys who aren't gonna be in the NBA. With that said, though, when you're seeing Tyrese Maxey play with pace and take pull-up threes and look comfortable, when you're saying seeing Aaron Neesmith and Peyton Pritchard for the Celtics, by the way, Sixers Celtics on Saturday big game, two of the highest performing teams in summer league. When you're seeing those guys, Pritchard and Neesmith excel just at a high level. Pritchard was good as a rookie, um, but could get even better. Neesmith struggled early on, figured it out late, um, but is looking like things are really clicking for him as a shooter. Now, maybe that translates. You're seeing Patrick Williams get even better than he was as a rookie with Chicago. So Jalen Smith, for that matter, who yep. didn't bear, even really play all that much, had some good moments for Phoenix. I, I tell you, Kev, I was watching, um, I was watching Jalen Smith and I was watching his highlights, and I'm like, I mean, he he can really rebound and, and he's got skill as a scorer. Like he's he can he's got fluidity on the perimeter. He was knocking down threes, the goggles oh, yeah. are awesome. And yes. <laughs> I it, there was part of me is like, why couldn't this guy get a couple minutes? Like, I mean, you telling me when I mean, because they were getting smashed on the boards. Aiton was alone, truly alone, you know, and then they would try to play Frank Kaminsky for a minute or two there. I get it. I understand, you know, when it's when it's the highest stakes, it's very, very difficult to put a rookie out there. Um, But there was part of me that was watching him like, come on, man, he could have given you some fouls. He could have given you some minutes. He could have given Aiton some rest. Um. This guy might have been able to. He's not a stiff. It's not like he can't play. And so maybe you just didn't want to throw him in the fire because the truth is three minutes can alter a game completely. And if it is a disaster for three minutes, it could really hurt you. But he was in the same position as uh, uh, this is the other thing that stood out to me. Almost all those guys that you mentioned, Kev, you've got uh, quickly, you've got Maxi. You've got the two Boston kids. Well, one of the things about last year, and we talked about the ridiculous schedule, um, all those teams were playing to win. And it is very, very difficult to serve two masters, which is get young players minutes and develop them and also care about winning every night, right? It's very, very difficult to pull off. Um, Even... Patrick Williams, right? They did run him out there. They end up missing the playoffs, right? It might have been easier to run a veteran out there every single night at that position, but it's it's hard to serve two masters, and several of these guys that have really stood out 
we didn't see them all that much because it just so happened they were on good teams this year or at least teams that were trying to win because the playoffs were the goal. In many cases with young players, you know, the 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 goal is to develop their young players, you know, and the wins will come later. Uh, but with veteran teams or teams that are expected to be there, that's not so. You know who the other one is? And God, I love him. Kevin, I love him. Trey I mean, Jones? I, I Trey love Jones? him. Oh, I love him. Trey Stones. I love. But this guy, I mean, it got to the point where I was on eBay the other night and I was looking for the rookies. Who's this? Oh, I love Bowl Bowl. God, oh, okay, I, yeah, oh, Bowl Bowl. Yeah. Nothing is more fun than Bowl Bowl. Seriously, when he is in the open court and he's dishing off passes and he's stepping into threes and catching alley oops. Like I love everything about Bowl Bowl. And I don't know if you have seen this, but if you go to like eBay, he has the absolute greatest autograph of all time. He really does. Like his autographed cards, you got to go look one up while I'm talking to you. It's like, and I, and I don't mean this in a mean way. It's like my, oh my, my God. It's like my wow. son. It's like my, <laughs> it, 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 not, not, not even my son because he's 11. It's like my daughter wrote it. You know, it's like when you write when you're a child yeah. and it's just B O L B O L. Oh, it's, so it's amazing. Hey. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> and his his cards. People that's want the great. cards right now. It's not. That's, he, I that, thought, that's not. That's not cursive. <laughs> no. Oh no. 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 His signature is print. B o l b o l. It's yeah. amazing. <laughs> but again, we didn't even see Bobo. Right. I mean, he's. You know, he would theoretically be playing behind the MVP of the league, but we just don't see him during the year, and yet. There he is, and he's having some moments in this summer league. There's a lot of these guys that appear to be, you know, very talented players that were on good teams. Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Offer valid for new and eligible returning subscribers only. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. Speaking of, Kev, we got another situation like that where who knows how much we will see him during the regular season, especially with the addition of Patty Mills. Because Patty Mills is a heater himself, a kid that you saw who probably stole the night last night in Cam Thomas. We talked about him briefly on Tuesday. I had watched him play in his first game, and there was about a five-minute span where he was scoring virtually every possession. Um, you know, he was advertised as a scorer. They put up that list, and it's like Michael Beasley, Kevin Durant, Markel Fultz. This kid, like, there's very few freshmen that have ever averaged 23 a game in college, and he did. And the scoring, who knows what will happen on the NBA level, but it has certainly translated to the summer league level already. Yeah, his uh, feel for the game, his ability to create and draw fouls, 
it's it's beyond his years. I mean, like he had a he had a play. Like obviously, he hit the game winner that uh, funky shot at the buzzer. But he had a play in the first half. Who was that guy guarding him? I mean, that looked like it was lifetime fitness <laughs> with the white head, the white guy with the white headband. And I'm like, come I, on. I, I believe that was Kispert. <laughs> Are you serious? If I'm remembering correctly from oh, last for night, I, I believe that was Corey Kispert guarding. Corey, Chris. we got to, we got to do, we, we got to, we got to, we got to get rid of the headband. <laughs> we're, we're lifetime <laughs> fitness out there. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, I mean, Thomas had a play in the first half. Where he it was it was closing out, blocked a jump shot, and in transition, faked a pass for a lob dunk to make a wide open layup opportunity. And I thought it just captured his feel and what he could become as an overall player. Um, I think he's made some really great passes through summer league. Um, he's shown that he's like not just some selfish ball hog. Like the, the skeptics of him say that he's not just that he can pass if he needs to, but he's a score first player. And man, like it, he just seems like he's gonna become one of those guys. Whether he he becomes an all star or a great player or just a good like microwave scorer off your bench, we'll see how things pan out. But there's no, I have no doubt about this guy's ability that his scoring will translate. He's just one of those guys who at every level of basketball can get buckets in high school. He broke records as a score in college. Like you said, one of the best scorers in the entire nation in summer league, one of the best scorers in the NBA. It might take some time, but it won't shock me if this guy's going to become one of the better scorers. And by the way, who better to learn from than James Harden and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And not only that, Patty Mills too, a good yes. mentor to have in front of you. I mean, not only to having those guys, but to play with those guys, you got to do the other things. You got to defend, you got to pass, and he's going to have to learn that pretty quickly. And I think he will. If there was ever a place to get drafted that you can't be a ball hog, like if you're going to get your minutes, yeah, you're not yeah. the guy that's supposed to be shooting, my guy. You know what I mean? No like, doubt. There's, where are you on the pecking order there? And again, like we said, we may not see him get a ton of minutes this first year. And yet, you know, and then it will be a guy that we kind of forget about throughout the year because he's not getting a lot of clock. Because um, if they're uninjured, there's just not a lot of minutes to go around. And yet, he very well may be developing within their system. He's around those guys. He's learning from them. And we'll look back, and I think this is fair to say, that it may be a couple years before we look back and we give them proper credit for finding Cam Thomas late in the draft because he's not in a position to play immediately. And for a player like him, Kevin, I think I agree. I think that could be the absolute best thing ever for his development. You know, what you don't want is a guy like him going and just being able to take whatever shot he wants, you know, and scoring, you know, uh, 20 points a game and having a good rookie year on a team that wins 22 games. Yeah. It's much better to be in the position that he's going to be in. 100%. And he's going to be in a position to have moments. Over the course of the regular season, Kyrie is inevitably going to miss up games. Right. You know, Harden might have a hamstring issue at some point during the year. You're going to see Patty Mills slide into a starting role during that time. And you're going to see Cam Thomas slide and slide into a six man role. And those are the, going to be the moments where Nets fans are like, oh, boy, 
oh boy, we get a great young player on our roster. We're excited about the future. We actually have someone that's not about the present. It's about the future. And it's not going to take him long to have those moments. Like his feel, his shot creation ability, man. Like, do you think he's one of the, uh, like, even including some of the second year guys, doesn't he feel like one of the most seasoned scorers yes. in summer league right now? Look, you remember that whole topic I brought up on Tuesday when I was watching that game, Mark Jones and uh, Doris Burke were calling the game. And I said, this, it, 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 and we started talking about development of young players. That conversation all started with a move that Cam Thomas made and them talking about like, this oh, is, yeah. this is crazy. His, his like the fact that, the fact that a kid comes in, change of pace. this guy played one year of college and this is like what he's got in his tool bag, like just the individual skill stuff. And that's how they got off on that topic, you know? Uh, and, and, how, and how about the, the, the shot he hit uh, ridiculous. With, with, with early, early in that second overtime, uh, now, like a le- leaning floater from three. It's insane. We, we had that one. We had Max Struess the night before uh, against Memphis uh, pull up and hit one. The, the two double overtime games. One of the things it does highlight, though, Kev, because, you know, the, for anybody that doesn't know, if, it, if, if a summer league game goes to overtime, they play two minutes. And then if it's tied at the end of that, then they just play sudden death, which is fun. But they should be doing the Elam ending. A hundred percent. They should be doing it. What are like, we not doing it for? Why are we not doing this in summer league? You know, I, I mean, we just watched. What was it? The was it the TBT? That thing yeah. they do, the basketball tournament, the yep. thing for a million bucks, and it had like the greatest moment ever at the yep. end of it, right? With Sykes. Yeah, Sykes, and then yeah. he signs with the team like right the afterwards. Next day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or yeah. Maybe, maybe the next that same night it might have been. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Look, I, I get it. The Cam Thomas moment was cool. The Max Drews moment was cool. But I like the idea of having a Neelam ending in this. We had it, you know, in that TBT thing. Obviously, we saw it in the All-Star game, and we all loved it. Um, I really wish that – I really wish they would do that. And instead of a two-minute overtime and then – like, let's just make it a number the, that you got to get to. You know, I mean – it, it it's still like you know there still can be great moments like this is to bring it back to Cam Thomas he hits a game tying three sidestep three at the end of the first overtime then hits that leaning floater like it still can create magical moments but the Elam ending for the most part in those close end game situations tends to create some more exciting ones uh, than the current format uh, and also like it's it's overtime. Uh, in summer league, let's just wrap up the game in That's regulation right. with the Elam ending. <laughs> One of the things that I talked about on Tuesday was there was that kid, Isaiah Miller. People were tagging me on this post. I guess the Timberwolves put it up that one thing they've learned in summer league is Isaiah Miller's got hops or something. And I mean, it was another like crazy dunk contest dunk that he had done at practice or whatever. But then I looked him up. He was Southern Conference Player of the Year, Southern Conference Defensive Player of the Year, like all of these different accolades. He's undrafted. He's there to prove his worth in Summer League. You also have, you know, these guys that you see, and these are parts of the stories that I love. And I don't know if you've seen this guy, but he killed it in these in that L.A. Summer League that the the real short one, the couple game one that they played right before this one, Sacramento and now, in Utah. Yeah, and now he's been very good. Um, 
so far in this Vegas Summer League. The Turkish guy, the center for Miami, Omar Yurtsevin, who is this Turkish seven-footer who, I think he went to NC State, he went to Georgetown. He had played for Fenerbahce coming up, and, you know, he was like Jordan Brand game, and he played in all that kind of stuff, uh, the international game. And then, you know, at one point he played in Barkley Center back in 2015 as a 17-year-old. Um, and he's taken this path, and, I mean, he's got something to him. He's not a he's not a stiff either. And then I go, much like I had the same revelation where I'm watching him, and I'm like, who is this dude? And, you know, the numbers that he's put up in this summer stuff are outstanding. I go and look it up, and it's one of the things I'm like, when I'm reading through him, this is better than the Isaiah Miller one. During an under-18 youth competition in Turkey, Yurtsevin recorded a double-double of 91 points and 28 rebounds. <laughs> he scored 91 points in a game. 34 of 49, including five three-pointers and grabbing 28 rebounds. I was like, what? 91 and 28? That's a hell of a double-double. Um, but he left, he left Fenerbahce, he went and played college basketball and he's kind of been bouncing around. They played for the G league for Oklahoma city. And now he's on this heat. Um, he's on this heat team and he's not bad. You know what I mean? Like, and it's these stories of, you don't know where these guys come from. I don't know if you've seen the, the video going around of, uh, of the kid for, uh, Toronto. Uh, Wainwright that they just signed. He played at Baylor and he actually even played tight end for their football team. And he starts crying, talking about, you know, his trek to get to the NBA and how difficult it's been being away from his family. He's been playing the last couple of years in Germany. And there was a couple of different teams that really wanted him and Toronto ended up signing him. But I mean, it was incredibly touching. And sometimes the path isn't always the same for these guys as to how they get to the NBA. And it's, it's cool stories like that, that when I'm watching and I'm going, who is that guy? And I end up looking them up that you end up coming across some really cool stuff, you know, that is not just the top prospects. I mean, isn't that, I mean, it's, it's true in life. You know, the journey isn't always linear, you know, sometimes there's, you know, you bumps in the road and everything. And for any professional athlete, um, if you're not going straight to the NBA, your choices are the G league, um, which for most guys, I believe the average G league salary is like 35 K 40 K something like that. Um, or to go overseas and make hundreds of thousands typically sometimes um, for a lot of different leagues. So uh, hopefully like it just makes you think hopefully someday for, you know, some of the American born players uh, someday at the G league, that the average salary is, you know, 65, 70, 80, you know, the closer to a competitive rate compared to the international leagues. Um, Cause that way, you know, easier to be around your family, your loved ones, your friends, and still pursue the dream of playing in the NBA. And if not, you're still home. Right. And I, I mean, you know, you're still and home. Somebody, and, 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 you know, 
for somebody that's that's already got a family, that's got kids, you know, that's one of the things that's what made him cry when he started talking about it. Because yeah. he's talking about his ability to sign with the Raptors and what a blessing it is, because he said it was awful being away from his family, but he did it so they could have a better life. He did it so that they like that's why he was doing it, you know. He was he was over there playing in order to support his family. And it's different, right? Like all of a sudden your what wh- your motivations change greatly, right? Once you have children and for some of these guys, if they have children at a young age, it's now I am I'm in support mode. I want to go and be able to, you know, make enough money to support my family and for a kid with that kind of talent, the the you know, his his next stop was going to be being away from them. That was the sacrifice that he made. And so to to see him accomplish his goal and get a multi-year deal with the Raptors, I would encourage anybody. The Raptors put it up on their Twitter feed so you can go watch it. But the kid breaks down crying and it is it's 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 very 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 touching to watch it. And I love the stories like that for sure. You know, because I watch the Raptors, I'm like, who is Wainwright? And then you go look it up and you're like, oh, man, what an unbelievable story. You know, sometimes we forget there's only there's only 500 of these jobs, Kev. Yeah. Right. Yep. There's only not 500 many, of them. Not not many, not many at all in the NBA. That's for damn sure. Yeah. I mean, like, the truth, truth is, Chris, I mean, when we talk about the NBA and we say like a guy struggles or a guy sucks. Yeah. None of these guys suck. Absolutely. They, they are the best of the best in the world. Yes. Um, kind of stinks. What does suck, Kevin, <laughs> is that Jalen Green had to go out with the hamstring. Oh, yeah. Jalen Suggs had to go out with a hand injury. Obviously, we lost Giddy right at the very beginning. It's what, six minutes in to Summer League. And so here's uh, knocking on wood and hoping that we don't see more of these and that none of these become something more than what they are. Um, because one of the great things is getting to see all of these outstanding prospects. And, you know, at least we got to see some of Jalen Green. And we certainly got to see a lot of Jalen Suggs. We didn't see nothing. I mean, Josh Giddy's first play, who is Australian. Lord knows I have gotten enough tweets from my Australian brethren for lumping him in with euros i'm sorry i didn't mean to <laughs> it was a mistake I didn't, you, you did that, when, I, when did that I, said, I said because when we were talking about i said um was that tuesday i don't i don't recall that i said a couple of the euro guys and i i lumped him in with sengun and somebody else i, I think. mean I, oh I, okay I mean, forgive you just me meant, you, you non-americans in, you probably just meant international yeah. uh, yes I, that's yeah. what i meant I, I don't recall i don't recall that but, but boy but they didn't okay. like the, 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 yeah. my, my australian brethren who i love i love australia um so we didn't get to see much of giddy we only got to see six minutes of him but you got to see your boy sengun in person Shen-Gun, he was amazing <laughs> oh you loved it <laughs> you loved it 
Shen Goon. When you saw him in person, I saw you. Was it a video you took? Or, uh, uh, I put up an Instagram story of him, of him stretch, stretching? stretching on the side, full on split. What is he on, doing? On the side. <laughs> How does he, he do that? He did that for like two or three minutes straight, just a full on split on the sideline before checking into the game. He's while, doing that. He's showing Chris, off. That's yeah, showing off. Yeah. I, I think he's showing off. He he made me feel so inadequate, Chris. Yes, you don't need to do that kind of stretching, Shengun. I think my body would break if I tried to stretch like that. Oh, you would certainly pop a hamstring. A hundred percent. No question. Yeah, maybe he's a, just maybe a full on tear. It's a red flag to me. Red flag, if gonna, yeah, like that. if you're gonna be on the if you're because if you're on the sideline doing like the full splits and whatever, he, come on. He, let, me, let, me, let me offer let me offer a counter argument. We He's have putting seen on a him, show. Go be in Cirque well, du Soleil. Hey, here, <laughs> <laughs> let me offer a counter argument. He has no shame talking to the ball. Mm. He has no shame doing a full-on split on the sideline. Oh. I think it's a positive quality okay. that, you're, that you're not worried about what people think of you, I'm about so, how you look. Oh, okay. he's right. just, and on the court, he's always going to do what it takes to win <laughs> games, even if it doesn't look pretty. That's my <laughs> argument, Chris. He's going to go for it and do it. So your first impression, you know, obviously you have uh, worshipped this man on YouTube.com, but YouTube. now <laughs> getting to see him in person, you were... You were smitten. He's uh, uh, the one thing I'll say is like he is an undersized big, mm. um, and like moving like laterally, he still needs to improve. But with that said, I'm impressed by his positional defense. I think he's had countless plays where he's just like in the right place at the right time and affecting the play by the offense uh, and never mind some of the plays he makes on offense. He had that deep three. He had that pass that highlight left-handed bounce pass where he put English on the ball. Like he, his, his feel, his skill level on offense is so rare for his age. Like I, I have a hard time. It's like you said the other day, you tweeted out, you have a hard time imagining there'll be four players better than Jalen Suggs. I have a hard time imagining there will be 15 players better than Alper and Shengun. I have a hard time imagining that, Chris. There's too much skill. Too much skill. You were smitten. I'm glad that he confirmed what you thought about him. That as you saw him class, in man. Mm, it's good. We saw Garuba yesterday. I was at the arena for that. Josh Christopher. And obviously Jalen Green. Yep. They've all had some moments. They've all had some moments. Josh Christopher was a big high school recruit. Yeah. You know what I mean? And went and played for uh, Bobby Hurley down at Arizona State, where uh, you can't be a ninny playing for Bobby Hurley, right? So, I mean, he probably got pretty good training ground in his one year there. And he kind of does a little bit of everything. That's a skilled guy, Josh Christopher. I was impressed by him. Who have you found when you're talking to people that people are buzzing about the most? Um, <laughs> this, this is a silly thought, but the first thing that pops into my head was LiAngelo Paul. Uh, I, think, <laughs> I, 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 think, I think a lot of people are surprised that he's performed as well as he has uh, with the hustle. Never mind the knockdown shooting, um, but like as a role player, people watch the Hornets. You know, you're watching for Kai Jones and you're watching for Book Knight, and it's like, oh, Fleangelo's pretty good too, and he might make that roster. Um, like I wouldn't, like obviously not the highest performer at summer league, but with your question, that's the name that popped up. Uh, some of the veterans, 
you know, in Portland. I saw Giannis's brother just signed another contract signed this morning. Yeah. So let's go. You yeah, know what I mean? You want to? Hey, you want to keep? Uh, you want to keep Lamelo in the fold? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think some of the veterans out there too for for Portland. It's kind of weird seeing Kenneth Fareed and some of these other guys on that Portland roster. Um, <laughs> I was thinking about this, Kevin, with Fareed. I think he's averaging like eight rebounds a game or something. And yeah. He's not playing a crazy amount of minutes. Um, what if the game... What Kenneth Fareed, to me, it was almost like a player like him became extinct. Right? Like it was like the game moved in a direction where the value of Kevin Ken, Kenneth Fareed was greatly diminished. What if he's still young enough? Because he is that it's come back around, right, to where a Kenneth Fareed is useful again. Because you've got the Anthony Davises and the Giannis's and the Jokic's and the all these different big guys now that are playing significant roles for teams. What if the league comes back around for a guy like Kenneth Fareed and he could get a gig again and it's like he withstood the time where everybody had to be able to knock down threes to be able to get out a roster and he's just still around and he's like, whatever, 32 years old. He's not like, it's not like he's 40. I mean, I kind of like the fact that we have some older players yeah. at Summer League because I think, you know, it shouldn't just be for young guys. In the sense that if you're an NBA team, there's so many veterans playing around the world that you might actually want to get a look at or ex NBA players that you want to get a look at who could help your team. Obviously it's always going to favor the young guys and it always should favor the young guys. Um, But it is nice to see a couple of those NBA veterans sprinkled in there. Um, I I think, you know, the other team that people talk about a lot is that Celtics team, Sam Hauser, you know, playing for them, launching threes. Obviously we mentioned Pritchard earlier. We mentioned Neesmith, um, but their team's loaded, dude. Like that's a, that's a great summer league roster. Great summer league roster. Neesmith can really, really shoot. He can. I mean, I had, I had a lot of people tell me before last year's draft that he and Desmond Bain were the two best shooters in the draft by a pretty wide margin, you know, and he didn't get all that many minutes. He, he turned up at the end of last season, but they may, you know, in a league that values shooting so much, he could certainly shoot the ball. It has been a very fun summer league so far. It's also been a great week for Mirren Fader, our uh, co-worker at The Ringer, who had the best luck of any human going, wrote a book about Giannis. It dropped this week. And this book is, of course, coming after Giannis um, wins an NBA championship, wins a finals MVP. Scores 50 in an NBA Finals game. And his story, so many people very interested on kind of how we got to this spot. And we are going to be joined by Mir and Fader after these words. Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by USAA Insurance. When you're a homeowner in the military community, peace of mind is priority. And USAA Homeowners Insurance has the award-winning service to give you just that. They'll help you protect your home and what's inside of it at the high standard their members have grown to expect. If you have to file a claim, the process is transparent and easy. And you can do it all right in the USAA app. And they offer many discounts to help their members save. That could put your wallet at ease, too. 
Visit usaa.com slash homeowners to learn more. Eligibility restrictions apply. USAA means United Services Automobile Association and its affiliates. San Antonio, Texas. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And now we are joined by the most important author in the world this week. She is Mirren Fader from The Ringer. Her book, Giannis, The Improbable Rise of an NBA MVP, is at your local booksellers online, everywhere available this week. Mirren, thanks for coming on. Oh, what an intro. And and we got the local booksellers. I, I like it. Nice yep. to see you guys. <laughs> All right. First things first, how did this book come about? You know, um, uh, Obviously, you take an interest to Giannis, the story, um, but it's a big undertaking to try to do a million interviews and and do the book properly. Uh, tell me about coming up with the idea and then when it kind of became a reality that you were going to write a book about him. Yeah, I used to work for Bleacher Report and I did this story on Alex, which is his youngest brother. And I went to Alex's house and Giannis was there and I just didn't expect him to be there. And then, you know, when I spent the day with them and their mom and their other brother, I was just like, oh my God, there's so many human sides to Giannis that I guess I just wasn't aware of, you know, like he's so nurturing to his brothers. He's so kind. He's so smart and charismatic and thoughtful. You know, at the time in 2019, when I did this, people really, I felt only were talking about his body, right? Like, look at all these freakish things he can do. But storytelling and all of the things that he went through to get to this point, I just felt like we're missing. And so it just felt like the perfect subject. The number of anecdotes in the book is remarkable. I mean, I I texted you yesterday about the cookie jar one, my favorite in the book. Not going to spoil it for people who haven't gotten there yet in the book, but there's just so many funny ones. There's sad anecdotes. There's frustrating ones. Um, throughout this entire story. You interviewed over 200 people for it. Was it 221 people, Maren? 221, yeah. 221 people. The amount of of hours, total days you spend interviewing people is probably unfathomable. But throughout the process of like reading this book, like Giannis, everything, every person I've ever talked to about Giannis says like he's just the nicest absolute person. There's really like nothing bad about him. Are you surprised in interviewing 221 people that there's like no, you know, oh, this guy was a dick to me. This guy was an ass. Like there was right. none of that with Giannis. Like, was there anything like even remotely close? No. And that's why at first I was worried. I was like, and you can't really write a book on a saint, but, um, you know, not anything, but I think there was just so much conflict in his life, especially early on that it still made it compelling, even though he's so likable. I think to me, what surprised me in learning, you know, how many people just genuinely love this guy is that he had every reason to be a jerk, literally every reason to be a mean person who is angry and bitter and upset by the way his home country treated him. There was so much racism that he experienced. They barely gave him citizenship at the last minute. I mean, he has every reason to walk around like people did not respect me and treat me or think that I was anything. And instead, 
what I saw in my reporting throughout his entire life was this person who, no matter what was going wrong, was always optimistic. There's just this very, um, very genuine sense of optimism and brightness about him. Like when he had nothing in his home and he was introducing his childhood friends to his bedroom and it was just like a bed, he would just have this buoyed sense about him. One day I'm going to have a TV. One day I'm going to have books. And I just think that carried him throughout his entire life. Where did that drive come from? I think it's watching his parents. Like they never had to say like, you need to work hard. You need to do this. It was, why is my mom leaving the house at 11 p.m. to sell items dangerously on the street and she's going to be out for the next 14 hours. And then she comes home and she acts like she's happy and puts a smile on her face, washes my one pair of socks that I have. So I will have clean socks to go to basketball practice that right there, watching the dad sit there at dinner and not eat his portion and pretend that he's fine, even though Giannis knows he hasn't eaten in two days right there. So I think, you know, Giannis is, is such an observer and such a great listener and so smart because he grew up watching people embody work ethic, watching people embody sacrifice. And so it's so ingrained in him. And that's why he never thought he was owed anything. Like when good things happen to him, he feels gratitude, not arrogance. Um, and that's carried him in, all the way up to this point. I mean, I, I hope a lot of the the young people who read this book take that away, right? The mentality that Giannis has. Um, I mean, like I was thinking about this the other night, having a conversation here in Vegas Summer League. I can't imagine what it's like to be a, like a 10, 11 year old kid right now, a Bucks fan rooting for Giannis. You know, like I was lucky to root for Tom Brady. You know, Chris, like we talk all the time about you and your you know, your son rooting for John Morant. Um, Mirren, you had Kobe Bryant to root for. Uh, talking to Bucks fans throughout this, um, you had you you had Bucks fans input in the book. I'm sure you've heard from a lot of Bucks fans since then. How how has the reaction been so far? First week of release. How have Bucks fans liked it? Have you gotten a lot of good feedback from them? Uh, how what have they learned? I suppose. Yeah, you know, I I mean, because these are people that study Giannis religiously, right? They thought they knew everything about the Greek freak. And they were just like, I knew nothing about his childhood, you know, and it's been really nice to hear that because that's what you hope. But I think the thing that makes me really happy is that they're saying like, thank you for capturing what it felt like to be a Bucks fan all those losing years, because mm. I think like it's easy to be a Bucks fan right now, but it was not easy in the 90s um, when they were awful. And and the arena was terrible and everyone was ragging on them and saying, just shut up. You're lucky to even have a team, you know? And so, and that's why I wanted to talk with them because I feel like to understand what Giannis means to the Bucks, you have to understand the psychology of a Bucks fan, which is always being hopeful, always loving your team, even when it doesn't love you back, even when the threat of leaving and losing and trauma is just forever present. And so it was just like really important for me to have that context in the book because a lot of people talk about how the Bucks saved Giannis, right? Like he got to escape poverty and save his family and have generational wealth. But people really should talk about how Giannis helped save the Bucks. They were in grave danger of leaving the city of Milwaukee, just like the Sonics left Seattle. And here comes this guy that nobody knows about, and he saves the entire franchise. What about his response? Did you about send the- it? Yeah, did you send question, it to yeah. him before it came out? <laughs> yeah, they, they've had it for a while, but I don't know what he thinks. I, I hope he likes it. I mean, we've been transparent the whole time, and they had the book pretty much before anyone else. Um, 
I hope they like it. I hope they feel seen. And I say they, because for me, when I think of Giannis, I think of the entire family. It's hard to like think about him without thinking about his mom who I talked to or his brothers. And so I hope that they, they feel seen. And, um, well, you obviously got total cooperation from everybody. Well, I, it's complicated because I did this out of a story that I did for Bleacher Report. And that was the one interview that I talked with, with Giannis. We, you know, talked at the Bucks facility and we had that one-on-one and you see those quotes in the book. Um, but then the pandemic happened and I couldn't right. talk to him and then I couldn't talk to him after that. So, um, I am thankful that I got the brothers multiple times and, and the mother, but I do hope they, they think it, it's good and, and, just represents their entire story. You know, one thing I was really conscious of was like, yes, there's traumatic elements, but you don't want the whole book to be trauma, trauma, trauma. I wanted to show the joy and the beauty in this family. It's a family story and the fun they had and the laughter, because in a lot of ways, Giannis had a really happy childhood. So I I just hope that people appreciate both the joy and the hard times. No, I mean, the book can absolutely go from happy to sad you know, pretty right. quickly. Right. I mean, it was, it's a beautifully paced book as you are. Anybody who reads your articles knows that, um, you know, obviously writing this book and reporting this book during the pandemic, this is your first book. Um, we have a lot of people that always ask, you know, you know, Chris and I like, you know, what do you, what do you do with writing? Like, how do you get better at podcasting? What did you learn when it came to writing this book for when you do the next one someday, um, whoever it might be about whatever subject it is, like, what, what did you learn from this experience? Yeah. I mean, I think one thing I always think about when I'm doing like my normal stories for the ringer is like, how do you keep somebody's attention? And we're always talking about that in media, right? Like what is going to sustain somebody's attention and curiosity when you're writing a 120,000 word book, you have to sustain attention for so many pages. And if there is a lapse or a boring chapter or an anecdote that goes on too long, they're going to quit. I don't know about you, but like life is too short to rally on books that just don't get it within the first 50 pages. So like, I will quit. I don't have a problem saying that. So, you know, I've just learned that it is imperative for me to space my books, knowing that in mind, picturing the reader, where are they going to stop? What is going to intrigue them? How do I not burn all my good stuff up front? So by the time they get to page 120, they're like, I'm out. I gave it a good go. Um, and I just learned also just on a personal note that I really love this and I want to do this for the rest of my life. Um, you know, with the book coming out, it's really nice to see people holding up the book. But for me, the joy has been like the doing of the book like that. That was my happiest when I was just reporting and, and writing it. They call that the process, Mary. The process. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, you know, I, Inevitably, when a book comes out, people are going to comb through it. They're going to search through it. They're going to find out, okay, what's controversial? What's salacious? And it just so happens that one of the guys that does not come off looking very good is Jason Kidd. And it is not like you were searching for people to say bad crap about Jason Kidd, but he just got a head coaching job in the NBA. And... I think it's fair to say people, even if they just read those excerpts about Jason Kidd and Larry Sanders and about coaching that team, I, I was I was surprised the other day. There was some guy that posted all the excerpts and talked about, you know, basically, you know, here's what a dirtbag Jason Kidd is and whatever. And then a lot of the responses were, 
this is Gen X versus Gen Z. This is a guy that coached the team hard. You guys are being uh, sissies about all this and whatever. And <laughs> I, I was very intrigued by kind of here's all you're doing is describing what happens at some practices and the way two different generations of people took it was very, very different. I, I'm, I'm interested in your kind of response to that and then finding people talking about Jason Kidd and then you being on the other end of the phone or Zoom being like, oh, whoa. You know, like this is not. I, I'm writing a book about Giannis, but like this, this is this is this is juicy. Yeah. So, I mean, in a book, you know, the first guy that ever coached Giannis, he's a character. Larry Drew, also a character. The Bucks' first coach, Jason Kidd, a character. Like these people don't exist in a vacuum where they don't have any effect on Giannis. And in order to talk about the impact that they have on Giannis, you have to talk about who they are, what their story is. For me, you know, I knew Jason was a part of this, but of course, when I wrote the book, he was not a head coach. So, it's getting attention now because of this recent hire, right. obviously. I think that obviously these sections don't convey the complexity of Jason Kidd that the book does that I worked really hard to do. I think both things are true. Jason did have an impact on Giannis in the sense of Jason was the first coach to say, you can be a revolutionary big man. I'm going to move you to the point guard, put the ball in your hands and, you know, I'm going to believe in you and spend hours with you. And I chronicle all of the positive things he did for Giannis in the book. However, Jason operated in a very maniacal way that was manipulative, that was toxic, that was um, not always popular. It was polarizing. And I included the Larry Sanders anecdote in there that people picked up because it gives you a window into how he treated players. And I think that is important to talk about when you're talking about somebody that was developing the subject of your book. Um, however... It is a small part of the book. Right. That's the way, and that's the way the internet works. Um, yeah. but I, they're going to find when, whatever is controversial. Yeah. Right. But I hope when people read the book, I hope that they're able to see, um, all of the complexity and understand that Giannis would have been successful no matter who was coaching him, you know, like with or without Jason Kidd, Giannis would be Giannis. But it's important to kind of bring in that nuance. And to your point about old school, new school, yeah, I think we posted an excerpt on The Ringer and it had all the quotes about some of Jason's advocates saying, well, he's just, it's not mind games, it's just coaching. And that's that viewpoint of the people that say, well, the younger generations don't know what it's like to be coached, whatever. Of course, like, his history of abuse is well documented as well. So I, I think the book is fair for sure. And I, I hope people like actually read the book. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because that's a, that's a challenge, right? right, right. The, the, the 3,000 retweets on that turns oh into, God. you know, 400 sales. That's what we got to hope for. <laughs> oh, manifest, Kevin. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think you're going to still talk to us if this becomes a New York Times bestseller? Or do you think that you'll just forget us completely? Am I and, still in the frame? And, and, act, and act like this interview never happened. Um, I am turning red as a tomato. And I'm going to say no comment. <laughs> so, uh, look, I, I, we got to know, it came out Tuesday. What has this been like? I guess you have some level of expectation of... What it's going to be like when your book drops. Um, 
What has it been like the last three days for you? Oh man, it's been such a whirlwind. Like, I can't believe that like people are posting photos of their books. There was this guy in the Philippines that posted his book and was like, I'm in the Philippines. Here it is. And then this other guy was like, I drove to Racine because it was sold out in all these places in Milwaukee. And it, it just warms my heart. You know, all my life I've been like this literary nerd where like reading books wasn't considered cool. And I was like the weirdo that would read one book a week. And then I, see all these people excited to like read a book and go get it. And that just like warms my heart. And, you know, I was really nervous. I'll be honest, like writing a first book is really scary. You're putting yourself out there. It's super vulnerable. It's also on like a very famous person. Um, and so it's just been really a nice relief to see like it's out, you know, and dealing with the good and the bad, what people take, what people don't take. It's a process. Um, but yeah, I can't believe it's only been like two days. I have feel like I've been up for like a year. <laughs> it, it, it's it's pretty wild how everything lined up because I remember the day the book was announced uh, was the day Yana signed, and, and, and like you had no idea that that was I coming. Had no idea. You didn't know. It's just coincidental that Yana signs the Supermax the day you're announcing the book. Coincidental that he goes and drops 50 points in a closeout game. How, how, were, how much were you rooting for the Bucks, Mirren? Be honest. <laughs> how, were you the biggest Bucks fan on the planet? Uh, yes. And yes. Uh, I watched every game <laughs> at my parents' house, and we all had Bucks shirts. <laughs> and we had, like, <laughs> we had like a superstition, like, if we don't wear the shirt, they're going to lose. And like one time I, I, my shirt was in the wash and I forgot to bring it over to their house. And they're like, they're going to lose. It's all your fault. <laughs> so yeah, I was, I was living and dying with the bucks. I haven't been so stirred by a team since, you know, my childhood, like rooting for the Lakers um, when they were good. And, you know, it's just so funny because all you mentioned the people in Milwaukee that I talked to for the book, they, you know, they become friends. You know, I text them like, dude. And that's all I had to say. You know, they'd just be so excited or just a million exclamation points. And it, it was just like fun to see them happy. That was the thing I was rooting for the bucks for sure. But I was like witnessing people that yeah. I just got to know as friends have their best day in their entire lives and knowing what they went through as a fan base and the trauma. And now they get to be happy. Like that just made me so happy. I think I was in the middle of the chapter about, you know, Bucks fans and how the team could have left while I think it was like the start of the NBA finals. And it's like, right. it makes you understand dear districts. It makes yes. you get it. Oh. That mass, that sea of people and how it looks like a concert. It was crazy. I, I wish I could have made it out there. That would have been a Me good time. Too. Me too. Oh, yeah. I know. It's like the generational player finally stays, right? Like yep. to understand mm -hmm. what what it meant for him to sign that Supermax. You have to understand how painful it was to see Kareem yeah. lose. And there are people that live in the city of Mil I said lose, leave. It's been a long two days. Yep. Um, it's there's There's people in Milwaukee right now that remember how traumatic that was when Kareem left. And they get to witness this. So it's it's very special. She is Mirren Fader. Go get the book if you haven't gotten it yet. It is Giannis, <laughs> uh, The Improbable Rise of an NBA MVP. The book is fantastic, Mirren. We're both big fans of oh. yours. And um, get on that list. I think it's going to yeah. get on the list. I saw those Amazon so. ranks, Mirren. I saw yeah, them. Yeah, I see Just that. Just man manifest it, teammates. Manifest it. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck with the book, and thanks so much for coming on today. Oh, thank you for thank having you, me. Marin. This was so fun. Thanks.
That is going to do it for another episode of The Mismatch. Kevin, I will talk to you next Tuesday. I'm looking forward to it, Chris. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.